Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now on 77 WABC, here are your hosts, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush. Good morning, New York, and welcome, welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. This is Alex Alexanian signing on early in the morning on Sunday morning, May the 15th with... Big day for us, Brenda Bush here. With my co-host, Brenda Bush, and our other guests, which we're going to introduce to you in a few seconds few minutes more alike. Today is Sunday, May 15th. Uh, the weather is not so hot in New York, but it is the big day for us. We've been waiting all year for this. It's Walkathon Day. And up FDR, in FDR Park, Yorktown Heights, New York. That's right. It's about uh, 40 miles. If people don't, if you don't know don't about know it, I don't know where you've been because we've been talking about it for weeks now. That's right. You're not, you have not been listening to this show, and we do punish people for doing that. Okay? <laughs> we send them to the cat yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> the punishment is on the way. You're going to have to listen to the show for the next 10 years. How's that? <laughs> anyway, uh, we have a great show, and we have a surprise show because our theme is not a theme today. We are going to be doing a round-robin discussion, first time ever in this almost one-year history of the show, that we're going to be talking about a very generic subject, why are dogs important to us? Fairly generic. I mean, it's the reason we all exist. Obviously, we all care about dogs that we're on this radio station. And you've got to be caring about dogs because you're on the other side of the station listening to us. So, therefore, we want you guys to participate with us. This is a special day for us. It is uh, a rainy Sunday, forecast rainy Sunday. We don't know what it's going to be like later on when the the walkathon is on. We're going to try to put it on. We have some great events coming on. My goodness, we have a, a tremendous live band playing and all sorts of good stuff. And uh, unfortunately, the weather has not been our friend. But we're going to do the best we can. And uh, because of the occasion, we decided to have this special show on why dogs are important to us. And when I say us, we're not talking about just Brenda and myself. We're talking about, and we're not even talking about just you. We may be expanding that to all of humanity, all of society. Why are they important in the first place? I mean, uh, are they just commodities? Are they just byproducts of life? Or are they really something that really impacts us? And so we want your opinion. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Um, if you get a chance. Otherwise, you can just s- sit back, relax, and listen to us discuss this issue with all of our friends. What do you think about this, Brenda? Uh, you know, I, I, it's a great show, and I'm glad we're, we're doing this sort of the roundtable discussion and just inviting a whole bunch of our friends to talk about it. I think we're going to have to do more shows like this so we can just, you know, bring it in, get everybody to give their opinion. Yeah, we usually script the shows, and we have our yeah. questions set. No script know. today. We're flying, yeah, flying blind. <laughs> if you see in front of me, the only thing I have in front of me is one sheet of paper, okay? And the sheet of paper has a bunch of quotes on it, and that's it. There's no timing sheets like we usually yeah. have. There's no, you know, I feel a little nervous, actually, because I need my timeline, but yeah. that's okay. We'll, we'll, but, we'll get through it. But I do have some great quotes to start the show off with, just to yeah. put us in the right framework. So let's, let's look well, at Well, I have my favorite, too, so don't, don't read all your quotes. I'm not going to read all of my quotes, but I am going to start by reading the granddaddy of all animal quotes out there, the one that sort of inspired me to get into this movement, um, the one that's on our website on every single page of memorial page of the dogs that did not survive. Um, this quote is is written on top of the name of that dog and the picture of that dog. And it is by Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, of course, everyone knows the great Indian um, prophet Gandhi. And his words are, 
the greatest of a nation, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. Let me read that again. The greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. I think that is the most dramatic and yeah, probably absolutely. the 800-pound gorilla in the world of quotes. Mm-hmm. Now, we have some other great quotes here. And that's not just dogs. That's animals. Animals. Animals in general. And you really have to think about what he's saying, what Gandhi meant. You really have to sort of sit back for a minute, put the coffee down, you know, close your eyes and think about what does he mean the moral progress of a nation can be judged by the way its animals are treated, not the way its humans are treated, not the way its children are treated, but its animals are treated. Why does he say that? I Obviously, he thinks that animals are pretty important to society. In the moral compass of the species. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Absolutely. And so that's what the subject of the day is. And that's what we're going to talk with our great am- American doggy panel. But before we get to that, I think we're going to cut away and we're going to go to a commercial. No. Oh, we've still got five minutes. Okay. So I'm going to keep reading. This is what happens when you don't have a script in front of you guys. <laughs> Free flying. <laughs> So I'm going to. Why don't I'm we get some? A, bring on some of our guests. No, I'm going to read a couple more quotes. Okay? Oh, you have this, more. To set, okay. To set the mood right here. Okay. Another quote. This is by Roger Karras. Uh Roger Karras is, of course, the uh, the famous guest, uh, the host of the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. Um, he is also the uh, veteran network uh, correspondent on Nightline and ABC News and 2020. We're a very well known personality. I love this quote. I just r- love this quote. Dogs are not our whole life. But they make our lives whole. Yeah. It's a play on words. There are a lot of people in rescue that, that have that in the, in the animal welfare community who have that uh, quote in their signature, their email signature line. Yeah. yeah it's, I think it's, it's true for a lot of people. You know, it's that it's that unconditional love. And I'm sure, you know, we'll get into that. But it's it's what motivates us and, and, and bonds us with the animals. Well, he's not even talking only about love. You know, he's saying dogs are not our whole life, but they make our lives whole. Somehow... I mean, love is one specific part of it, but both Gandhi and Karis are talking about how dogs somehow complete us, somehow complete us as individuals and complete us as a society. Gandhi's talking about animals completing us as, as, as a society, as a species, and uh, Karis is talking about how dogs specifically complete us as individuals. So I, I thought both of those are are, um, are pretty interesting. I mean, there's some other great ones. Mark Twain talked about it. Uh, Abraham Lincoln did. Jack, Jack London, the great author. Robert Louis, Louis Stevenson, another famous author. Um, Mark Twain's is an interesting quote also. If you pick up a starving dog and make him prosperous, he will not bite you. That is the principal difference between a dog and a man. As usual with his satire, biting satire, mm-hmm. so relevant. If you pick up a starving dog and make him prosperous, and he's comparing this to humans, uh, i.e., if you pick up a hu- starving human being and make him prosperous, he will not bite you. The dog will not bite you. That is the principal difference between a man and a dog. Wow. Some powerful words from all uh, three of them there. Well, it also doesn't say a lot about men. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> and, and what Mark Twain thought of, of humankind. Um, which is a sad statement. You know, he's a, he's, he was a tremendous American, a great man, a great uh, thinker, intellectual of his time, and um, such low vision of, of mankind, surprisingly, huh? Well, what's that statement? Uh, you know, the, the, the quote, and I didn't write this down. I'm just thinking of this now as you're saying it. But, you know, the more I know, the, the more I know men, the better I like my dog. 
<laughs> Let me write that down. Okay, wait. Brenda Bush. <laughs> it's not my quote. Josh Billings said, a dog is the only thing on earth that loves you more than he loves himself. And if you don't know who Josh Billings, uh, Billings was, that was the pen name for Henry Wheeler Shaw. Um, he lived, uh, he died actually in 1885, so it's quite an old quote. Um, he was probably the second most famous humorist of the time after Mark Twain. So we just read you the, the, the most famous, Mark Twain, and then the second one was Josh Billings, that a dog is the only thing on earth that loves you more than he loves himself. Meaning, what about mom? You'd figure mom loves you more than she loves herself, right? Not according to Josh Billings. What about your kid? Hey, you gave him life. You brought him up, paid through college, almost committed suicide after you finished paying for college. And how come he loves you? The dog is the only thing on earth that loves you more than he loves himself. And they don't care what kind of car you drive or what kind of job you have or what kind of house you live in. They just love you. Now, here's one from Robert Louis Stevenson, one of my favorite authors. A lot of people love his writing, of course. Um, he's right there as, as the, one of the top-ranked 30 most translated authors in the history of the world, right after Charles Dickens. Robert Louis Stevenson said, You think dogs will not be in heaven? I tell you, they will be there long before any of us. Now, do you guys see a common theme in this? Do you guys see the common theme? The theme I see is they're all talking about how nasty human beings are and how great the animals and how, are. how great the animals are. I mean, do you see what he's saying? You I don't know what it says about humanity. You think dogs will not be in heaven? I tell you, they will be there long before any of us. Isn't that fascinating? Wow. So anyway, we can just go on. I mean, there's some, some great quotes, and we'll, we'll probably cross some of these paths along the way. Anatoly France uh, has a great quote that I've always loved. Abraham Lincoln chimes in. Um, Jack London has a great quote. And Louis Sabin. We'll, we'll try there's to cross these. But, but it's fascinating. The great intellectuals all seem to have one, one philosophy here, that we are not as pure as the animals are. That's what this is all about. And they make us better human beings. Well, yeah. They make us better human beings because, because they're better we're than impure. We are. Yeah. That's and, what they're And they're thinking. not. Right. Now, you can talk all day long about they're their screwed up or whatever. You know, they don't think much of humanity. But these are the great intellectuals of their time, mm -hmm. people that we respect. So it's pretty hard to, to cast, uh, you know, stones at these guys. It's not an easy thing to do. Anyway, so with that thought, we're going to bring in our great American doggy panel when we come back from commercial. So let's cut away right now. We'll be back right away. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way, and Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs. Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row, and brings us all face-to-face -face with a painful reality. More than 45,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. Visit DogsInDanger.com and click Donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now, before they run out of time. 
Barkable Radio, the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Well, we're back. We're back on this day, May 15th. It's morning. It's a stinky-looking uh, sky out there. Weather's but not it's, looking so good in New York. We've got our fingers crossed. It's the day of our and walkathon. Pause. Yeah. It's the day of our walkathon. If you want to participate and help us, please go to walk.dogsindanger.com and at least make a donation. Anyway, let's continue with our great American doggy panel. And let me introduce to you our panel members. First of all, in studio with us this morning, we have Jackie Denton. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. And Jackie is our, uh, we should mention, she's a volunteer with Dogs in Danger, and she is from, she's all the way from Colorado with us to attend the Dogs in Danger Walkathon this weekend. And uh, she's been with us almost from the start. From the start. And Jackie is actually the manager of our shelter programs. You know, Dogs in Danger Mm -hmm. has hundreds and hundreds of shelters around the country we work with, and Jackie manages all of the volunteer And she holds their hand through the whole process and keeps it going and manages a whole bunch of volunteers who, who, who assist with listing dogs on the website and... Yeah. And so Jackie's with us in the studio this morning, and we have with us, and I'm, we're going to punch in the two other guests that we have here, Dan Kaufman. Dan, are you with us this morning? I'm here. Morning, Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Dan is a PR specialist and consultant, animal activist, and one of the most brilliant people I've met <laughs> in the world of uh, uh, public relations, and specifically public relations when it uh, relies to animals. Um, and I'm going to introduce Brian Kilcommons. Brian, are you with us as well? Yes, good morning, Alex. Good morning, Brenda. Good Hello morning. Hello there. Good morning, you two. Two gentlemen. I am so happy. Usually it's all women around me, so I'm very I never heard you complain about that before. <laughs> <laughs> First time we outnumber them, guys. <laughs> and Brian is a uh, famous dog trainer. He's author of uh, Childproofing Your Dog, Tales from the, Bo- uh, from the Bark Side. Not the Dark Side, the Bark Side. Um, and several other other books. So, um, so welcome to the panel, the All American Doggy Panel. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. See, that's great. So, we have a general kind of a topic this morning that we threw out there because it's a special show, and we didn't want it. We just wanted to say, why are dogs important? And open up the, the windows and kind of say, why are dogs important to me, to us as a nation, and to us as a species? So, let's start off with uh, Brian. What do you think, Brian? Where do you come in on this? Well, I think dogs make us better people. They open our hearts. You know, um, they give a, a lot to us. They get us to exercise, reduce our heart rate, reduce our blood pressure. Um, and you just see the, you know, it's interesting that dogs are the only species that we've incorporated into our society more. They're providing more functions for the human race, whether it is, you know, dogs detecting diabetes or seizures, therapy dogs, uh, assistance dogs, and the dogs now that we're using in war. They constantly add a quality to our life that we wouldn't have without them. Why do you think Gandhi, you know, his great quote that we, we in the animal movement always talk about and think about, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. What, what do you think Gandhi really meant? Just that. You know, as far as how we treat our animals is how we look to ourselves on, on who we are and what we're about. Well, how does how we treat our animals reflect on the morality of our society? Well, this gets a little bit more complex, Alex, because it depends on what species we're talking about. <laughs> well, we're, ta- we're talking... 
He's Go asking ahead. the tough questions this morning. <laughs> first, you first you tell him it's a roundtable discussion. Then you hit him with the really tough <laughs> philosophical moral questions. I guess we're going to have to call in the PR specialist, Dan, on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Spin this for us, Dan. That might be above my pay grade, but I'll try. <laughs> what do you think of all this? I think uh, about Gandhi specifically? Uh, whatever. You can take it anywhere you want. It's, that's what's open table about this. Well... <laughs> I definitely think that dogs are extremely important. And my, my dog, like we talked about the big picture about therapy dogs, which my dog is, and and how we're using dogs in war. We had the, a dog in Osama bin Laden's compound. And so, so they're, they're, they're on these big picture issues that they're working on and helping us and, and helping people with their daily lives. But my dog personally changed and saved my life. How did he do that? So... And not just personally, but professionally. And uh, and I'm not a dog walker now. I, I was an overworked and overweight uh, marketing professional, and I still am. I was obese, actually. I was over 200 pounds on just a five foot six frame. And uh, wow. And I come from a family of really overweight and, and big people, and I never thought that there was anything I could do about it. And then just one day, I looked in the mirror, and I was like, "My God, one chin is enough." And so I started with small steps. I started eating some more veggies. And the thing that really helped me was walking my dog. Rather than just the 15 or 20 minutes in the morning and at night, I would walk him for an hour, an hour and a half. Whenever I would have time, I would go. And in addition to hiring a trainer and, and eating better, my dog helped me lose 50 pounds in six months. Wow. wow. By getting me off my butt. Now, that's wow. a weight loss program you don't hear advertised. <laughs> you don't hear that one advertised very much, right? The dog but and weight true. loss. Yeah. You know, I hate exercise. I absolutely hate, detest exercise. Let it be known right now. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I'll do it for my dogs. I'll get out and do it for my dogs. I, because I, I always think... protest. <laughs> I do not see you walking your dog <laughs> unless you're yes, teaming it do. after midnight. You know? Yes, I do. He doesn't like to go for those walks. You know, I want to chime in here. The other things that dogs do for us is... You know, I, they wind up being bridges for communication. You know, you walk through Central Park or you, you walk in any park in the surrounding metro area. If you're without a dog, and you, it's rare that you can start a conversation with somebody. You may, but it's not all that comfortable. Dogs become bridges for conversation. You know, That's so you true. Have a pup, you have a puppy or if you have a dog, people talk to you readily. It makes us more social. No, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But those are those are all the practical sides what dogs do. I, I'm I'm kind of also interested, um, and even you know even animals in general. But uh, I'm kind of more interested in this. Particularly, for example, he talks about Gandhi being the he talks about moral progress. Um, how do you think it changes us to actually care for a being or a creature that is totally dependent on us and is extraordinarily weak? How do you think it changes changes us to develop those kind of tentacles, the caring tentacles, for a species that's so much weaker? I mean, you remember, the, the world and the earth is created on the philosophy or are based on the philosophy of uh, the, the strongest shall survive. Well, clearly, the animal that's, that's living next door or in my house is not the strongest. So when we change ourselves to make his life better, to care for him, how does that change us, do you think? Well, back to the, the fitness issue, you, you don't start off by benching 400 pounds. You start off with little by little and little, and then that all adds up. And just by 
being able to care for 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 another being, a dog, that that strengthens your heart muscle, uh, metaphorically speaking. And by developing that, you can go further and further. And if you can feel how you, you love your dog and how you do anything for him, and then you can expand that into how you eat and how you you see things around the world and how there are three million dogs just like yours that are that are killed. And so just just like like fitness, just one step at a time, one pound at a time, mm-hmm. can can help you develop that that, that compassion. I think not yeah. only uh, uh, you know caring for something else besides ourselves. So it's pretty hard to be selfish when you want a dog if you're going to take care of it, care of it responsibly. Um, but I also, you know, I have a training facility up in Southbury, Connecticut, and I'm expanding my practice in New York. And my job is to really teach people how to communicate with a different species. Mm-hmm. Now, when you live with a dog, the dog's perceptions of things in life is very different from ours. Mm-hmm. And we have a... a, a homeosapien, you know, homeosapien um, kind of outlook on everything. Well, you know what? Ours is not the only outlook. Animals have outlooks. Animals have perceptions that are very different from ours. And when you learn how to communicate with a dog and teach a dog and understand a dog on their, you know, basis, it makes a huge difference because it's one of the few things I think that we have that connects us to the animal world in a world that we have manipulated where we control everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, we are, we see ourselves as the center of the universe. And to actually care for another animal or another being that is totally subservient to us, without any question. And uh, dependent. And dependent. It really does change you. Um, Anatole France, who is a, a Nobel Prize winner for literature, a member of the Academy Francaise, one of the great intellectuals of Europe, uh, wrote... Until one has loved an animal, a part of one's soul remains unawakened. Until one has loved an animal, a part of one's soul remains unawakened. What do you guys think? Is that true? Is there a part of you that, re- that remains unawakened until you exhibit love for an animal or feel love for an animal? I think so. You know, it's funny with a lot of clients. I, I just have a client now who's a doctor. And she grew up going, I can't stand dogs. Well, she got a puppy, and, you know, she's hardcore now. You know, I think she, the husband is now competing with the dog for attention and affection because she's so wild about this dog. You know, it brings out a nonjudgmental love that makes our lives better. So makes t- us better people, and I think it makes us happier people. And what... Listen, where else can you go when you get a, you know, a puppy or a dog where people wind up on their knees talking like idiots? <laughs> you know, it, just, it doesn't happen in adult life except with children and puppies. Right. Right, right. Does that make us better people? I think so. So tell us what happened to you. I mean, you knew this client that you were talking about before he went through this transformation, right? She. Or she. And then you saw what happened to her after the transformation. Tell us what, what changes did you see in her? Over this period, let me tell you a quick story. <clears throat> when I met the, 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 Walter Turkin was one of my mentors, and in fact, I started a. a uh, after he passed away, he left a small foundation. I was uh, training volunteers to train shelter dogs, <clears throat> and this was Walter's wife. They had a Maltese that 
she, Walter wanted the dog. Jane didn't like him. So she was like, none of it. I'm not, you know, you take care of the Maltese. You pick up his poop. I'm not touching it. You know, so well, the Maltese didn't work out for them. Walter always had Irish wolfhounds. He wanted a big dog. Jane said, absolutely not. Anyway, she goes, you know what? It's the only thing that's going to make him happy. So I got him a Great Dane. So out on the street with a Great Dane, Jane is now absolutely head over heels in love with Chester. And where she wouldn't pick up after Maltese, she is now literally catching Chester's poop as he's <laughs> tripoding in the city on the newspaper. All right? And it's amazing. I am that... absolutely crying. I'm laughing so hard because this is the same woman who wouldn't even touch the Maltese. And now, you know, what the dog's passing is the size of a Maltese. Right. And I think they help us learn what's important, you know, because it, it helps you prioritize and put things into perspective. Because I know before I had, I grew up on a farm, and so I had animals. But as the first dogs that I had as an adult that were my own, um, I was, I, the changes in my own life were dramatic because I was so paranoid. I mean, I was so, I was so anal about the the uh, the caretaking of my house, you know, not hair and not mud on the floor, and you know, take your shoes off when you come in the house, and well, that all of the these door. rules. And you know what? After I got the dogs, I said, you know what? Those things really aren't so important. And I think it really does help you prioritize things. You know, they help you. They help you put. They give perspective to things, and what you know. I mean, that's obviously a you know a, a small example. And I, and I think dogs teach us a very good lesson about staying in the moment. You know, oh, absolutely. either we are regretting things or looking back uh, or we're looking forward. But dogs keep us in the day. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what? I'm g- we're going to cut the commercial. We're going to ask our panel members Hold to on. stay with us, okay? We're going to come right back from we'll commercial, have- and we're going to punch you guys back in again, okay? Hold on one second. Hey, Brenda, what's the best way for the good folks out there to help their furry friends? Well, they can buy our Dogs in Danger branded T-shirts, mouse pads, and postage stamps. And you know those stamps are real U.S. postal stamps, so you can use them every day. Just think, someone else finding out about this cause each time you send a letter. So please go to dogsindanger.com and buy from our selection of logoed products. Remember, each purchase helps us save a life. That's dogsindanger.com. Hi, this is Alex Alexanian. And Brenda Bush. Hosts of the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour right here on 77 WABC. Dogsindanger.com is a labor of love for us. We founded it over three years ago to save the lives of shelter dogs scheduled to die. Our efforts have helped save more than 50,000 dogs from death. Now we need your help to continue our work. We only do one fundraising event a year a walk in the park, and it's crucial to our efforts. It's going to be an amazing event with live music, free food, games, and celebrities all coming to Westchester's FDR Park on Sunday, May 15th. Yeah, our friend Shanna Wall from The Amazing Race is bringing a bunch of her reality star friends from The Bachelor, Survivor, and Flipper from The Sean Hannity Show right here on ABC is also coming. Please register to walk in person or walk virtually. It's so easy. Just go to walk.dogsindanger.com. You even get a free T-shirt because of you. Thousands more doggies will be living in happy homes instead of dead. That's walk.dogsindanger.com. Once again, it's walk.dogsindanger.com. Throw your dog a bone. Let him listen to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Back to Alex and Brenda. Well, New York, we're back on the air. This is the big day, May 15th, day for the walkathon, the Dogs in Danger walkathon. A little rainy, but a little rain never scared me. 
What do you think about that? It's scaring me plenty big it's time. It's scaring the hell out of me, too. I don't know. <laughs> Both the girls and everybody else. Even Mike in the studio is shivering. We're all scared, right, Mike? <laughs> Mike's saying, yeah, I'm really scared. <laughs> uh, we have our great doggy panel with us. We have Dan Koifman, a PR manager extraordinaire, and Brian Kilcommons, dog trainer and author extraordinaire. And we have um, Jackie Denton from Colorado with us. Jackie, you haven't said much. We're going to turn the mics on to you. Dogs in danger shelter liaison. We had some technical difficulties that were preventing Jackie from contributing to the conversation, but we got her back on now. Yeah, I think it was more, it was called nerves. (laughs) Maybe. I don't want to interrupt anybody. (laughs) So let me, let me start this, this next segment of the discussion with uh, a quote from uh, noted author Louis Sabin. I kind of like this one too. No matter how little money and how few possessions you own, having a dog makes you rich. Isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. Now, is that just play on words, or is there some truth to what he's saying? I'd say, you know, it's worth than more, more than all the gold in the world, I think. Yeah, but those are big statements you guys are making. How, well, let's, let's, let's go around the panel. It's true. I wouldn't go that far. See, okay, so Brian is coming in. I, I, I'm kind of with you, Brian, you know. All the gold in the world? Well, maybe. I, you know, I could save a lot of shelter dogs with that. Um, no. But as far as the relationship and being important, you know, I just have a thought, guys. You know, with the work that you've done with Dogs in Danger, and tomorrow, with the, or as far as with the walkathon today that you're doing, how many people have you brought together for a common cause to make this a better world? Oh, we're well over 50,000. No, you're talking about number of dogs saved. He said, yeah. how many people have you brought together for this cause? You mean just on the, at the walkathon, or are you talking about through the website? Overall, the work that you, you've done oh, here, 60,000 communication has brought people together. Absolutely, and tens of tens of thousands. But un- but unfortunately, Brian, n- not enough to really make a dent in the problem. So, um, well, you know what? I disagree, Brenda. Fifty thousand is a dent. It, it doesn't need to be five hundred thousand, or preferably five million. Yes, but you know, you take one step. To really start the journey, and it's making a difference. You're getting the word out, but I didn't want to lose the point where, with the walkathon, how many people are giving up time in their day to support something that is going to make a better world for dogs and a better world for people that you've brought together? Oh, it's it's tremendous. I, yeah, I mean, we're getting support. Thousands of people have gotten involved in the walkathon at this point from across the country because we have a pledging system. You know, if you've seen it, it's a pledging system so people can register and pledge for each other. And I'm shocked when I look at the people yeah. from all at least fifty percent of the people are are, are more, not are more, not local. Yeah, they're all across 50%. the country. Yeah. yeah, all over the country, people are involved with it. They know that what we've done has had an impact and we have kicked the bucket it's just that it's such an enormous problem to try to solve you know it sort of seems like okay three uh, two million dogs were killed and we saved what about twenty thousand dogs in the last year what's twenty thousand of two two million you know we're talking what we saved one percent okay one percent is one percent but you know what we lost 99 percent of the time so you know you you kind of get on you know you feel depressed when you look at it that way then you read a quote like this no matter how little money and how few possession you own having a dog makes you rich um i don't know what do you think dan is that true or is it just you know just people playing with words when I heard that quote, I, I, li- I live in New York, and just walking by and on the streets, and, and you see a homeless person with, with a dog, and they're they're sleeping together, and like, it it just it just grabs me. Like there there's so many of them on the street, and 
and but when you see them together with a dog it, it kind of it brings home to me like wow they they have nothing of material but they're together right you know when we were in paris uh when we were in paris uh, a year and a half ago one of the things that struck me most about that trip were the number of homeless people who had dogs and the love and the bond between those animals of course i'm projecting we did actually talk to to talk to a few of them i was just you know they had nothing else but they had they that had dog that standing next to them they yeah. had that yeah they all have a dog i don't know what i don't know if that's a marketing tactic or if it's love i don't know you know i'm not going to say well i i mean i saw what i thought was genuine caring what i observed to be genuine caring but that's just me you know projecting but, but it's 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 there's there's parts to this relationship that's really weird one of the things that i i, I read a, a while back that really struck me and i'm going to bring it out now it's not a quote it's something that i read in, in a book someplace and and the author was saying that you know you can watch a movie and you can watch a war movie where American soldiers are getting, you know, machine gunned, you know, Iwo Jima or whatever. I mean, they're just dying all over the place. And you could watch it and, you know, you could say, oh, that was, oh, that was terrible. And you can watch this movie and get up and then, you know, and have a slice of pizza afterwards. And then you can watch a movie in which a dog is, a cute little dog is running and somebody takes a gun and shoots the dog. Okay? Same thing. A bullet goes in and the dog dies. And you will be just shocked and stand and and get angry and write a protest letter and 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 shut the tv off because you're all messed up on your insides because this this little dog was shot um you know what it's absolutely true i don't know what the mechanism is and i don't even understand why but it's absolutely true meanwhile we're killing two million of them like like that but something happens in humans. But see, but, and but no one has to watch the two million that are dying. And that has a lot to do with well, society's inability to address the problem because it happens quietly behind closed doors. Clearly. I mean, that is absolutely true that the story of the, the dog that's shot in the film versus, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand American soldiers being shot on film. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? What, what do you think is happening in here? Well, like thinking about something as horrible as the, as the Holocaust, how can how can you understand six twenty million people killed? You, you can't wrap your mind around you it. You can't. But, no. But when we have the story of Anne Frank, that's something that we we can we can identify with her. We can feel her struggles. It becomes personal. So you're saying that you identify with the dog and you feel the dog's struggles? Well, I was. I remember, and I think it was in the Afghan War or the Iraq War. I forget. There was a, a soldier who took a puppy and he threw it across a field like a grenade, and this was captured on video. And there was a huge, huge reaction, and so many people writing letters. And I think he might have been uh, thrown out of the military or some serious reprimand. But there, there's so many people that are they're killed every day in in on the, in the battlefield. And yeah, damage. I mean, I have another example. Uh, you remember the, the the movie Patton with uh, George C. Scott? I think he won an Academy Award for it. He was, you know, um, it was several years ago. There's a scene in there where the you know it's World War II and all these army trucks are going through a bridge. It's World War II, obviously, and the, the bridge is blocked because there's a mule. That's, that just refuses to move. So all of these tanks for, you know, X amount of miles are blocked up. And there's a scene in there where he, you know, where Patton, who's in the back, comes, comes forward, you know, in his Jeep, and he says, what's holding him up? And, and the soldier says, the mule is not moving. Whatever we do, he's not moving. So he gets out, takes out his pistol, puts it in his head, and shoots the, shoots the mule, kills him. And it came out that this is before the Animals Protection Act and stuff like that, came out that they actually shot a real mule. On the, on the set. It, I mean, they, they actually shot the mule and threw him over the bridge. And this 
destroyed Pat. Uh, I mean, George C. Scott, and the movie was trashed because a old mule. They actually put a really old mule that was going to be euthanized anyway. It didn't matter. The public relations thing went insane about the fact that they shot the mule, even though the mule would have been killed anyway. So what's going on here? Why these kind of inconsistencies when it comes to animals? Because when we see it on, on, on camera, it becomes real versus an idea about the millions who are killed. It, it comes to a visceral part, part of us. And, and that's something that storytelling has to convey. Well, and I also think when we're dealing with children or animals, we're talking about the voiceless. They really are powerless, and it does bring people to the forefront sure. to try to protect them. But I wanted to circle back with Brenda, what you were, you were saying earlier as far as people not seeing what's going on. I think there is a perception that with a lot of these organizations that say they're no kill, that the problem has been resolved. You, you think that just with this magic word, no kill, people think, oh, no kill, oh, that's good, okay, let's go have lunch. Right. That, you know, this has come under control. So, and the, organi- you know, the facilities that are doing it, in my estimation, are on the front lines, and they're being maligned. Yet they are the ones that are really handling the flood of animals coming in. Because with the unlimited intake shelters, they decide what they're going to take and choose. Where these other facilities, open admission, are really handling the problems, again, on the front lines. And by handling, it means they go out the back door in a trash can. If they have to, that's exactly what they do, yeah. Often. I mean, yeah. many times, I, there, there's, and you were talking about Colorado. There's Longmont, Colorado. A friend of mine uh, who heads the behavior department up there does an absolutely phenomenal job. They almost have a 98% live release rate. And she's handling some of the most difficult dogs, Amy Sadler, that come into a shelter system where normally they don't have the behavior resources to really rehabilitate these dogs. Mm-hmm. And she's taking some really difficult dogs that would normally be euthanized, turning them around and successfully adopting them out. Just goes so to show you the power of shelter management when they really are dedicated to saving lives. Yes, and they have talented behavior people that know what they're doing and really have the experience to turn some of these dogs around. If we could use more facilities like that and get more volunteers trained to work with shelter dogs, I think we could make a larger dent in the shelter population and getting these dogs adopted and rehomed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to I'm going to quote uh, Jack London, um, favorite author, White White Fang, of course, uh, Call of the Wild, American journalist, social activist. Um, obviously, you know, great respect for Jack London, and he said, and this is a great line: "Charity is the bone shared with the dog when you are just as hungry as the dog." I'm going to repeat it. Charity is the bone shared with the dog when you are just as hungry as the dog. Pretty amazing. Goes right through me. How many of us that will share our meal with our dog even when, uh, you know, there's not enough for us? How do you, what do you guys think of that definition, Jack's definition of charity? Dan? You're the PR guy. You cannot let dead air up there, okay? That's, that's, that's cause for firing. <laughs> well, it's, when you really give somebody something of value, it's something that you value yourself. Right. So when a billionaire gives a check for $1,000 versus somebody who has very little, 
Like, I know there's this woman who, she loves cats. And, uh, and, and her neighbor, her cat fell off the ledge. And this woman, she's on disability and just making, just barely getting by. And the cat was alive. And this is something like ridiculous, like seven stories. And, and the, her neighbor was also somebody of limited means. And she didn't have the, the, the money to take them to the hospital. And she said, I will give you that money. And I don't want you to go to the, the local hospital. I will pay for a cab to take it to New Jersey because that's where I know that, uh, <laughs> that, that they really treat uh, right. uh, the, the animals well. That's, and that that's true charity, right? But, when you're giving something that you really but, yeah, can't afford yeah. to give. That's the, I think that's the that's Either the of your possessions tone. or yeah. of yourself, either, right. either of them. True so, sacrifice. So what, what Dan is saying is that if you have a billionaire who writes a $1,000 check, Okay, nice, but no big deal. But if you only have $2,000 and your dog and is you sick and you give $1,000 of that right. money to the dog, then you are confining to the right. definition of charity that Jack London is talking about. Very high standard of charity. I don't think the species is anywhere well, near. Well, it, it means you have to give and give and give until it's true sacrifice for you. And, uh, and, and that's, and that's, that's the, not real, happening. the real meaning yeah, of charity. That's, happens to very very few people so you know i don't know you know we haven't moved that much forward i mean jack london died uh, what you know uh, nearly 100 years ago and uh, society hasn't moved that far forward if you use th- his definition um of what charity is i would say that that is not what mm-hmm. charity is for most people the great 99.9 percent of, of the world is not at this point they're not charity. there no, no. But not, a lot of people, opinion. a lot of people in the rescue community are, I believe, which is why you know. Uh, but you know, I think a lot of pet owners are. From my experience, I've had a lot of clients that have sacrificed for their dogs, and whether it's their time, their money, or their emotions and their heart, um, they've gone above and beyond. And especially with some of the dogs that uh, have needed medical care, they've spent a huge amount of money, and many of them didn't have it. Mm-hmm. You know, they and that relationship, the emotions that dogs bring out in us and the caring they bring out in us. As I right. said before. Yeah, I, I actually people. I had written yeah. an article for our newsletter um, a couple of years back called Collateral Love, uh, all about that process and the sacrifices that I made and choices I made when I decided to adopt a, a special needs high anxiety dog that was a foster dog. And, uh, and and collateral love was the one that seemed to really fit it the most because I, I absolutely adore the dog, but came at huge sacrifice for me. And I think there are a lot of people out there that um, that make similar choices. And I think they are the the champions of our society. They are, I, I believe, those are the people that uh, should be leading this nation in some ways. But uh, we're going to have to pick this up in a few minutes when we just come back from commercial. I'm going to ask our final panel to stay with us. Hold on one second. When we first started thinking about dogs in danger, we had one overriding thought. Millions of innocent dogs were being killed in shelters each year in this country. And we realized there was no way for the public to know which dogs were going to die and when. That's when the light bulb went on. So we created DogsInDanger.com, where every dog gets a last chance at life. The good public embraced the idea, and more than 45,000 dogs are alive today, bringing joy to families everywhere. In today's economy... It's hard for anyone to part with their money, but Dogs in Danger needs your help to keep saving lives. If you believe, like we do, that needless killing is morally wrong, then do something about it. Please go to dogsindanger.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Just $18 a month will help us continue our life-saving mission. Donate to dogsindanger.com and do something good for your soul. Gain a body, 
save a life. Dogsindanger.com. Love is in bloom at Best Friends Animal Society's Pet Super Adoption, June 4th and 5th. Adopt from hundreds of cats, dogs, puppies, and kittens, all hoping you'll pick them up to be part of your family. The Pet Super Adoption is happening at the Westchester County Center in White Plains, New York. So come on, join the fun, and adopt your new best friend on Saturday and Sunday, June 4th and 5th. For more information, visit superadoption.org. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Honest talk, even when it bites. On 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. We're back on the air, and the dogs are wild. And <laughs> the dogs are wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dogs in danger radio hour. That's, That's what's right. wild. <laughs> and and uh, it's our big walkathon day, and we have our great American doggy panel. And I'm going to switch the microphone for a second over to Jackie Denton, who has not said anything. She's still here. We did not knock her out. All these guys, I'm here. macho guys. Uh, Jackie, tell us. Apparently, you've compiled a list. Of how dogs change us and affect us. So go at it. Well, with the topic of conversation, uh, how how dogs are important to us, I think that they're important to us because they save us. I believe that they save us literally and that they save us emotionally and psychologically as well. So I made a little list. Okay. So let's, let's hear some of your right. list. Here's the list. Dogs save us because they pull us out of avalanches. They find us amongst the rubble of disasters. They protect our homes and our children. They are the arms and legs for people who are paralyzed. They lead us when we're blind. They find our lost children, track escaped convicts, find bombs and drugs, detect cancer in humans. They put smiles on the faces of the sick and elderly in hospitals and long-term care facilities. They help us overcome loneliness, improve our mood, reduce stress, and as we were talking about a little bit before, Brenda, they encourage you to get out exercise. and exercise. Yes. Um, so there's there are more. They they've helped move our freight in the past. Um, they have helped um, to put food on our tables. We don't think of them so much like that now. But in the dogs past, as food. No, no, what no. What part of the world you come hunting, from? helping, and they hunting. help us oh. go out and hunt. Yeah. Absolutely, they sure do. And so they save us when we're drowning. And they don't judge us. They keep our secrets and they give a... They're excellent snugglers, I find as well, too. I really like that about dogs. I've never known anyone that loves me as much as my dogs love me. No, and you probably won't. And Alex gets very upset when I say that. He gets very upset when I say that. And yet, you know... It's that I, I unconditional love. Here is here is okay. You guys, you had all your 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 quotes and things, right? So one of my favorite quotes is, um, aside from all of the very deeply philosophical ones, of course, which you had on your list, um, uh, a book by Dr. Nick Trout, who's a veterinarian. Tell me where it hurts, uh, is the title of his book, and um, and he says f- about why why we're so bonded with dogs. Far from the sleazy bar scene, blind dates, and websites dedicated to finding your soulmate. Pets offer a relationship guaranteed free from lies, deception, and infidelity, where silence feels comfortable, where words come easily and unenforced, where demands and a need for tolerance are nominal. That is And I think awesome. that's so true about oh, dogs. That is true. It is. Absolutely true about them. And we've that's talked we've touched true. on that in our other shows too, but you know, they teach us they teach us to live in the moment, like Brian said. Mm-hmm. And not only do they love us unconditionally, no matter what, no matter what kind of clothes you wear, a car you drive, um, they just 
love you for who you are and sometimes love you more than they love themselves, right? Like well, you, that's, that's like you talked about. Yeah. But they keep us living in the moment. And, they, you know, and because their lives are so much shorter than ours, they also um, remind us daily that life is – because you live that with that hanging over your head mm-hmm. all the time when you have these companions. And it reminds you to appreciate life and that at any moment it could be taken from you and sometimes mm-hmm. too soon uh, – can happen with our with our companions. What do you think, Dan? How does what's your list? Do you have a short list there? How dogs affect us? Well, I don't have I don't have a list, but it's it's, it's a living list, and so they're, they're like I mentioned before, they're out there on the front lines in in a, in in Pakistan getting Osama bin Laden. There, I, I I my my dog is a therapy dog, and so when when we visit these elderly women, there's, there's one woman I come to visit in my in my building. She she just lights up and all her pains go away, and she just feels alive. They're and amazing little magic, healers, huh? aren't they? Just mm-hmm. amazing healers. You know what? Magic. It's that pure joy mm-hmm. and pure love that they elicit. The same thing that that you get from a baby. Just there's a pureness to them mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we talked about the purity of it. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think, Brian? What what's what's on your list? What I'm thinking as far as what opportunities dogs create for us to be better people you know with the walkathon and whether people donate adopt or volunteer at their local shelters it really is an opportunity to not only meet new people but to make a difference so as far as you know i'm looking at those opportunities a lot because i think that is something that dogs also give us mm-hmm I, I agree That's with so you. True. And, and another thing that they do that we haven't touched on that, that I mean, I, I think it's a dramatic. They teach us about the thing that we fear the most, death. Dogs teach us about death. And you know how they teach us? Because they universally almost die sooner than we will. Our life expectancy is 75 years. You know, dogs is 14 years. So if you have a dog, your chances are pretty darn good that you're going to see that dog die one day. And you learn about life from the dog. And you learn about death, experiencing death from the dog as well. So it's even to their end of their days, they service us. us. They're teaching us in Mm -hmm. some ways. And the quote that sticks in my mind most, and I I said it earlier, and the one that I loved last year when I first put put these quotes together, um, the one that sticks stays with me. That's the deepest and philosophical, of course, uh, besides Gandhi's, which is untouchable. Until one has loved an animal, a part of one's soul remains unawakened. A part of one's soul remains unawakened until one has loved an animal. I think that says it all. It does. That's why I find myself speeding home from work to be with my dogs. There is something that happens in you. It's that door to that part of the soul that Anatole France is Mm -hmm. talking about that that opens up. And when that door opens up, you discover new things that you didn't know were in there. Mm -hmm. That behind that door, you really don't know what's there. It's a secret to you. And to your surroundings. And the animal opens up that door. How does he do it? Who the hell knows? But I don't That's necessarily believe that every every human being is capable of opening that door. Uh, no, I don't think the, the... Again, I don't think the human being is capable of it. That's what Anatole France is saying. Until one has loved an animal. Until she leads the sentence with until. A part of one's soul remains unawakened. Meaning you can't do it on your own. You need the help of the animal. Right, but what I'm saying is I don't think all humans are capable of... Of that, of that of door that being enlightenment, open? yes. I disagree with you. Yeah, Just that some, some, some people... Sometimes have, we're surprised, and you, people that you don't expect to get there, like the example that Brian gave. No, but, but wait a second. He's not... 
Anatole France is not talking about what's inside the door and how much good stuff is inside of that door. Some people have a lot and some people have less. What he's talking about is that you can't open that door without, without the, the animal. animal. And that's where I think is the most sophisticated, the deepest thing it, that gets right into my soul and tells me something about myself is how it changed me. Because I didn't know what was in there. I was just a regular guy walking through life, you know, trying to make money, get successful. You, you still know, are. Get beautiful women. I mean, what else is there in life, right? And suddenly I met this little dog, a you know, little white life. dog, and he opened that door that Anatole France 150 years ago said this line, okay? And that door opened up, and I found out there were things inside of that door. I didn't even know they were there. And maybe you will find that out. What do you guys think about this? Am I just going over the top on this? You're one of the lucky ones. You got the opportunity to experience that in this life. Some people pass that opportunity up, and they never take it. And at the end of their lives, they do not know what they've missed out on. Possible. It's possible. It seems to have happened to Dan. Look at Dan. Dan is a changed person because of that dog. (laughs) And physically, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Emotionally, psychologically, they change you. Absolutely. I'm I'm an emotional eater. And uh, and so when I'm stressed, when I'm anxious, I would go to food. And now I, I play with my little guy, and then he lowers my blood pressure. I feel good. And this just this not just changed me personally, but professionally. And, and I'm not a dog walker now, too. Right. <laughs> so in addition to uh, my, my marketing work, I also started a fitness company. Mm-hmm. And so and I help other people reach their goals. And so and it all started with one leash and one walk. And after you got the dog, you decided to to train the dog to become a therapy dog, correct? Yeah. Why? Because the, he, he, he has this magical effect on people. And so people who don't like dogs, don't like animals, they just, they're, they're, their heart melts when they see him. And then... And I, it started with with uh, older women in, in my building. There's a neighbor who I know is like family to me. I've known her forever. And and w- when she's with him, her, her pains go away. She feels great. And then I want to share that with other people. So we go to, to hospitals and nursing homes to help kids with cancer. And so it takes their mind off of all these other things that are in the past or in the future. And they're experiencing the love right now. And I'm feeling the love as we have to call this hour. Uh, we have it's to get to, to, to FDR yeah. Park and uh, enjoy the rain because I'm I'm not taking a shower this morning so that I can stand out there in the middle of the. <laughs> Thanks. That's a little TMI. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Dan Kaufman, a PR expert extraordinaire, for joining us. Brian Kilmore, author, dog Brian trainer. Brian Kilcommons. Kilcommons. I'm sorry. Um, thank you very very much for joining us. And Jackie Denton. And Jackie. For your wonderful list, great discussion. We're looking forward to a great walk. Hopefully, the rain is gonna is gonna you know hold off on us part ways, part the clouds for us. And for those of you that have not discovered what part of your soul remains unawakened, love a dog, love an animal, <laughs> love an animal, love an animal, amen, and discover, expand your circle of compassion. We'll be back next week at the usual time, live on WABC, New York's great station. Dead. Mark Levin. Bomb them the smithereens, my lord. 
Bound them off the face of the earth, my lord. Kumbaya. Rush them like the cockroaches that they are. All together now. Mark Levin. Nights at 6 on 77 WABC. 